You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Happy Resurrection Day, Grace DC and friends. My name is Glenn Hoberg. I'm one of the pastors here in the Grace DC Network. And it really is a joy to be with you on this high holiday of the Christian calendar, Easter, when the global church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This past week, having considered the events of his suffering and death, knowing that all he did, he did for us, we now focus on the pinnacle When Jesus Christ, the God-man, snaps death into two, stomps sin in the dust, and sends a shockwave of new life into the world. Though, you might not get that impression from the passage that we've just heard. It's often noted that of all the accounts of the Gospels and the resurrection, Mark's is the most muted and unresolved. Instead of us Uh, learning about disciples who meet Jesus and then eventually respond in faith, we get no Jesus and disciples who are only fearful and weak. But it's that reason it may serve as the perfect text for us this year, having the year that we've had and continue to have, marked by grief, fearfulness, confusion, and weakness. And in this way, Mark's account is really a wonderful study of how the resurrection finds ordinary, weak of faith people like you and me. Though it's not always easy to see that reflection in the mirror, is it? That may account for why some of the early efforts uh, we had to add on to Mark's gospel. Yet, its invitation reads, Whomsoever may come. And as we conclude Easter Sunday in our study of Mark, what we find is the resurrection assuring us of grace and ensuring us of trustworthiness. So let's look at both of those things together. First of all, the resurrection assuring us of grace. One of the things you observe as you study the Gospel of Mark is that over a dozen times we have the mention of the word fear. And most of it is not healthy fear, but rather negative fear, which is to say fear that isn't based in reality, but rather based in distrust of God. And it's evident in this passage. We see it first in the absence of the disciples. One of the reasons the women are left wondering who will move the rock is because none of the male disciples are around. They're hiding out in a room. We see this fear in the way that the women are alarmed when they see the stone moved from the tomb. And most importantly, when they flee, tear away from the tomb as soon as the angel is done speaking. Now, this isn't a running of eagerness to go share a message. This is more like a a Scooby-Doo and Shaggy running away. This is more like the cowardly lion in uh, The Wizard of Oz who tears down the hall and jumps out the window. And we see it in their decision to disobey the angel and not speak about what they saw. Now granted, they're exhausted physically and emotionally. And yet the strength of their faith 
is lacking too. And yet, in the face of that weak faith and failure, we find assuring grace expressed through a messenger from God who comes as a young man. Now, for modern folks, uh, our perception of angels is more like Valentine's Day Cupid, uh, maybe a, a chubby figure in diapers. But angels are far from that. The Bible depicts them as startling creatures, beings of holy light and fierce beauty. And so it was natural that you would feel holy fear before their presence. But it's not only because of their being, it's also related to their function. It's not a few times in the Bible that angels are charged to administer judgment and destruction. You see this in the accounts of Pharaoh in Egypt. You see it in the, the account of King Herod. And of course, with the opponents and enemies of God in the book of Revelation. So you can, you can imagine the shock that the woman felt as they came upon the angel. I had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land a couple years ago and what is believed to be uh, the grave uh, or the tomb of Jesus Christ, but at least like the tomb of Jesus Christ. And it's not at all like a graveyard or a room that has windows and light. You descend underground. You go through a dark tunnel and then there's many rooms. Imagine moving through that pitch black darkness with just a torch, and then as they come upon this room, they see a strange glowing light and an angel sitting in a posture of authority. They probably expect a judgment, but they find the contrary. They find a messenger of God who assures them of grace and handles them so gently in their weakness Dr. Kurt Thompson says that uh, our habit when someone gets quote-unquote too emotional for us is to dismiss their emotion, maybe to scold them, to say you shouldn't feel that way, when the wise and loving thing to do is actually to attend to their emotional state. And you find that that's exactly what the angel does, attending to their experience and how they feel. The angel is uh, prone to meet them where they're at. He's prone to care for them. He doesn't scold them because of unbelief, but rather he calms them, immediately saying, don't be alarmed. He appeals to something that's familiar. He assures them that the risen Jesus is the Jesus of Nazareth, whom they know. Even the angel's pace, one of the ways that we try to care for people in shock is we go at a slower pace, don't we? So he says, see where they laid him, where his clothes are. And lastly, the assurance of reconciliation and acceptance. Again, Dr. Thompson says that behind shame, what we often fear is being left alone. But what the angel says is Jesus has gone before you. Go tell the disciples, especially Peter. Why? Because you can only imagine the shame that Peter felt in denying Jesus three times. So as news of the resurrection comes, it comes with the reassurance of grace. And so I want to ask you, how has this year left you? Have you found yourself succumbing to fear? Maybe ashamed of your weak faith. 
that you didn't live better, you didn't love the people around you better, your neighbors better. Maybe you found you got pulled back into a destructive habit you thought you were free from. My friends, the resurrection finds us in places like this. Christ rose for people like that. Easter is a time to stop fleeing. It's a time to stop running and trusting in the grace of the resurrected Jesus. And that leads us to our second point, ensuring trust. One of the things that we see in the resurrection accounts is the way that the angel directs the disciples to the words of Jesus. Just as uh, Mark tells us, he has risen just as he told you. And you find this stress throughout the scripture that the, the apostles regularly talking about the word or testimony of Jesus' resurrection. And it brings together this crucial point of the way that facts relate to meaning and trust. Many times uh, when people are trying to figure out faith or get faith, they approach it just from an objective, reasoned idea. But my friends, the fact of the empty tomb wasn't enough to persuade the disciples of the meaning of the resurrection, and neither will it be for you or me. Maybe you've thought, if I could go back in a time machine and see the empty tomb, well, then I would believe, then my faith would be strong. I don't believe it would. Matthew records that people stood before Jesus, the ones that saw him die and crucified, they stood before him alive, yet they still doubted. You and I can stand before an empty tomb all day long, and many of the other evidences in the text, and still not see the risen Christ. There's always ways not to believe something if you don't want to. In fact, many times we begin to see something through a different lens. Maybe instead of the lens of our rationality, it becomes the lens also of our need. Maybe you've had the experience where uh, you're making a recipe and it calls for a spice that you don't have, maybe one you've never heard of, and you go to the spice rack and you've been before that spice rack for years and years and years, but because you need it, now you see it. Or we might think of a detective who fails to notice a key piece of evidence right before his eyes because it doesn't fit his theory, it doesn't fit his rationale. But as soon as that changes, whoa, there it is. There are some facts that become credible to us through the lens of our need. And that, connects, and that idea brings this uh, bond between meaning and the word of the Lord. The empty tomb doesn't give the resurrection meaning. The empty tomb doesn't give our lives meaning. The resurrection gives the empty tomb meaning. The resurrection gives our lives meaning. The meaning of the resurrection is also bound to the word of the Lord. Have you ever had this experience where maybe you receive some flowers or a fruit basket or a book, but there's no card? And you find yourself going, well, this was really nice, but the full meaning is lost upon you. Until you go, oh, that was sent by grandma, or my best friend sent that. Then the meaning comes with the word. Or, or maybe there's been a time where the action of a co-worker or a friend left you confused and even skeptical about them. Until you sat down and heard their words that gave their action meaning and you became less skeptical. Without the word of testimony, 
Without the word of Jesus, the resurrection will only be a shaky claim, a powerless fact. Just the next line is some creed that we recite. This is why you find Jesus preparing his disciples by his word, by teaching them first that the Son of Man would be delivered and killed and raised on the third day. This is why the angels stress he's risen just as he told you. It's the trustworthiness of Jesus in his word that is even more primary than the resurrection itself. Why? What's riding on it? Because, friends, it's the testimony that starts with Jesus and through the angel and through the women, which was radical in that day, and then through the apostles. It's that testimony which is the basis for which all generations after might believe. I've never seen the empty tomb of you. But I've heard the word in testimony, and I believe it. And it's this word that actually gives birth to belief and birth to faith. In Luke's account, the angel says to the women, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, what's the difference between Mark's account and Luke's account? In Mark, they're not going anyway. They're silent. In Luke's account, they are. They recalled the word. They believed the word. Instead of fleeing, they began sprinting. And the same is true today, my friends. You may be wondering, well, how can my faith be strengthened? Or, or, you know, I just don't sort of believe. I guess some people believe, some people don't. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you're serious about investigating the Christian faith or serious about wanting to grow in your faith, you must engage with the word of Christ. Because that word is a resurrected word. It leads us out of the tomb of our guilt, the tomb of our weakness, the tomb of our fear. It's the word of the resurrection which clears us The Bible teaches that death is the payout for sin. And so the fact that Jesus rose means that death has been defeated and sin has been paid for. Christ was raised for our justification. Hallelujah. It's the word of the resurrection which fills us with a measurable greatness of God's power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Believer, you are not powerless. Who told you that lie? You are a super conqueror. It's the word of the resurrection which raises us even to the very throne of Christ, seated with him spiritually so we can set our mind on affections above. I don't have to live by the applause of the world. I don't have to be driven by the lust of the world. I don't have to be sucked into the endless culture wars of the world. I don't have to be ruled by the anxiety of the world. And lastly, it's the word of the resurrection which will deliver us. Because Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, said, He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. If our only chance for health is in this life, if my only chance to uh, use my gifts and do the job I want is just in this life, if my only chance for the feeling of family, if my only chance for justice, if my only chance of experiencing love is just in this life, then we ought to throw a pity party. Because life can be heartbreaking. But if Christ is raised, there's an altogether different party we ought to be throwing. And one that we ought to get used to throwing because it's going to be a long one, an eternal one, where believers love and they laugh 
and they dance and they sing and they feast and they excel and they run into an ever-expanding horizon. How do I know this? Because the Lord's resurrected word told me, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.